Hey, how's it going? Good, good, good. Now you may be asking yourself, or you may be thinking, this is the third week in a row. Where's Billy? Well, they are back in town. He'll be back with us teaching next week. I think they're at home. Actually, I did talk to Karis. Uh, she said Christy woke up this morning at 2.30, so they're recovering from some jet lag, but they will be back with us next week. Uh, in the meantime, you get me. I am grateful to have the opportunity to open up the Bible with you guys, the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. This Word is living and active and able to speak to us as we seek to understand it. And actually, that is part of our goal for this time, to look at the Word and come to understand it a little bit more. This book has a lot of content in it, sometimes confusing, sometimes challenging, but my prayer for us today is that We will understand these words. God will allow them to root in our hearts, and we will be moved to a place of worship. That's the goal. So with that in mind, let me pray for us before we continue on. God, we are grateful for this time to come together and to open up this word, God. Uh, Thank you for the words that you've prepared ahead of time. God, I ask that as we just settle our hearts and our minds, and as we hear you speak, God, that you would do great things in our community, in our church, God, in our town, all because of your life-changing word. We thank you so much. We pray these things in your great son's name. Amen. Well, last weekend, while I was preparing for this teaching, I was doing some work in a coffee shop, and while there, I overheard part of a conversation that really got me thinking. There were two people sitting in front of me, and one of them brought up the idea, started lamenting about the current state of our country, and even broader, the current state of our world. And I'd be willing to bet that you've heard conversations like this as well recently. You could sit down in a coffee shop anywhere in Roseburg or Oregon or our country and possibly even the world, and you would overhear something similar. Because it doesn't matter who you are or what perspective you're coming from, most of us have the sense that things just aren't right. We struggle to make sense of the current state of our world and the challenges of our times. We feel the injustices. We feel the unrest. Now, I've noticed there are three different ways that we go about handling these feelings. Some of us just put up our hands. We check out. We wonder if anything or anyone could ever make sense of all of this. We wonder if God has a plan, and when we struggle to see it, we just say, well, what's the point? We just try to ignore it. Or on the opposite extreme, some of us would never sit by and let this happen. So our default is to stand up and get ready for battle, not on my watch. So we make our opinions known, and then we cut ties to anyone who doesn't agree with those opinions. Then there's somewhere in between. You're not going to shut down, but you're not really going to stand up either because, well, you're not really sure how to handle this at all. Yeah, you're pretty sure God has a plan, but you can't really tell what that plan is, and so you kind of take the, I'm just going to wait and see kind of approach. See, we all find ourselves in one of these groups, and if we are honest, we can probably bounce around to all three depending on the issue, right? 
but they all stem from the same feeling. Something is off. Something's not right. Now, although it may not seem like it at first glance, it certainly didn't to me, it's exactly the same kind of thing that Ephesians 3 is talking about and dealing with. What do you do when you encounter hurting and suffering and angry opinions and us versus them attitudes in the world? How do you handle feelings like, God, what are you doing? Do you have a plan in all this? And what am I supposed to do? If you've ever thought things like, how do I handle this? Do my choices matter if I'm quiet or if I'm loud? My day-to-day actions, if I, if I pray about it, if I show up to church on a Sunday morning, does it matter? Listen, I have good news. These thoughts, these feelings are nothing new. We're not the only ones having these kind of questions and these kind of feelings. In Ephesians 3, Paul gives insight and revelation from God to help us answer these questions of, is it worth it? And he's going to encourage us not to lose heart. So let's get to today's section of verses. I'm going to read through all of them up front so we can hear the whole flow of thought. And then we're going to come back and we're going to take it section by section, break it down, try to understand it a little bit more. So follow along with me if you're able. Again, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to be starting in verse 7. We're going to go to 13. Here it is. Of this gospel, I, Paul, was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to his eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Okay, before we really get into this passage and break it down, I want to make sure we're all on the same page about a couple things. Whether you missed the past couple weeks or maybe we just need a refresher, there are two important things to understand and have a grasp on to fully understand the verses that we just read. So first, let's talk about the mystery. I don't know if you guys caught it, but our verses today, we heard about the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God. Now, this mystery is something that we see all throughout Ephesians, and Jay talked a little bit about it last week and Chappie Mike a couple weeks ago. Now, it's important to know that the Greek word mystery, mysterion, has a little different meaning than our English word mystery. When you guys hear the word mystery, what do you think about? (laughs) Well, I missed it. What was it? Scooby-Doo, yeah. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. That's kind of, that's what we think about, right? I always think of like a whodunit, murder mystery. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there's some genius detective who's going to come in, see all the clues that nobody else could find, right? And they're going to crack the case. See, we think of it like this. If we, man, can work really, really hard 
and search and study, maybe then we'll find the answers, or maybe we'll never know. Unsolved mysteries, right? But the Greek word mystery is something a little different. See, mystery is something that can only be made known through revelation because God reveals it, mysterion. So what's the mysterious thing that Paul is talking about? The thing that can be only made known through God's revelation? Well, Paul has actually already told us what this mystery is one verse back. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, it says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Well, what's so mysterious about that? Well, if we flip back in our Bibles, way back to the beginning, we read about Israel, God's chosen family in whom he promises blessing. Then throughout the whole of the Old Testament, we read the story of this Jewish nation that are God's chosen people. The people he rescues, redeems, guides, and dwells with. And that right there was the status quo. Jews were God's chosen people, and everyone else, Gentiles, they were not. But then Jesus came, and he flipped the script. God's presence and redemption his presence and redemption isn't just for Jews. Now it's for everyone. And throughout the first portion of Ephesians, Paul is getting at this idea, this idea of unity, one family, bringing Jews and Gentiles together under God. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, he says it plain and clear. So let's sum it up like this. The mystery... Through Jesus, anyone can be part of God's one united family. We actually named this series, All Things in Him, based on a verse found in chapter 1. In chapter 1, Paul was already talking about this mystery plan. It says this, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, to unite all things in him. Okay, so that's the mystery. We got it? Make sense? Okay. Secondly, let's talk about the gospel. What does Paul mean when he says the word gospel? Well, the Greek word for gospel is euangelion. It's fun to say. The definition literally means good news. It's the good news story of how Jesus saves. And back in chapter 2, Paul gives a clear picture of what this gospel is. Let's look at it here. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far <coughs> sorry, off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. 
thereby killing hostility. We all have sin in our lives. And there's nothing that we can do to get rid of it on our own. And that sin separates us from God. But like these verses say, although we were once far off, we can be brought near by what? The blood of Christ, his broken flesh, and through his death on the cross. It was all Jesus. Nothing that we can do. It was Jesus who traded in his perfect life for our sinful one. in order to make us right with God. And this all happened through grace, and all we have to do is believe, faith. Also notice the phrases he's using in this verse. Uh, Made us one, broken down the dividing wall of hostility, one new man in place of two, making peace. These phrases are all in reference to that mystery we were just talking about. God made a way for anyone to be reconciled to him, to be a part of his united family. So like we did with mystery, let's put a little definition around the word gospel. Simply put, the gospel is the good news that Jesus saves. And it all happened through faith because of his grace. We don't deserve it. And there's nothing that we can do to earn it. Okay, so mystery and gospel. Understanding these two things are key to understanding what Paul is talking about in the verses that we're going to dig into today. So now let's go back through this passage. We're going to start again at verse 7. We're going to take it section by section. We're really going to dig into it. So again, verse 7, it says this. Of this gospel, I, Paul, was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. We're going to stop right there. So Paul is saying that he was made a minister of the gospel that we just talked about, that good news that Jesus saves. So what do you think about when you hear the word minister? Teaching? Teaching? Yeah, that's good. See, I think we use the word minister only as like, a very church word, right? At least that's the context I always hear it in. They are a minister or they were ministering to somebody. But that's not really the full picture of the word. In Greek, the word is translated as a waiter or a servant. Literally to be the one who is in service of others. And that's the whole role. It's not an elevated high position. It doesn't imply authority. It's not just some special thing for special chosen people. It's actually a very humble role, a servant. So when we think of it like a waiter, what's the number one question a waiter is going to ask you when they show up to the table? Everybody's saying something different. That didn't work like I wanted to. (laughs) What can I get you? That's what I was thinking. What can I get you? Can I get you anything? Right? It's their job to take care of you. So Paul is a servant made so by God's grace through his power of the gospel, right? That's what he's serving. And did Paul deserve this role? He certainly didn't think so. 
He says, though I am the very least of all the saints, saints meaning a follower of God, God's people. Now, I think he's saying this because of his background. See, when we first see Paul in the Bible, still going by his Hebrew name, Saul, it's uh, in the book of Acts at the end of chapter seven. And he's in the crowd as a man named Stephen is being killed for preaching this very same gospel. And then in chapter eight, it says this about Saul. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great limitations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women, committing them to prison. See, this is the world that Paul came from. An elitist Jewish religious leader hunting Christians. So then for Paul to encounter Jesus and be completely transformed, completely forgiven by the gift of grace, so you can see why he would consider himself lesser or the least. But I think there's something very, very important that we can learn from Paul right here. Don't let your past stop you from jumping all in with Jesus. God used a bigot who condoned the murder of Christians, a man who terrorized God's church. So if God would then choose Paul, he would certainly choose you as well. See, Paul did not forget his past, but he let it humble him, and it caused him to be so grateful. See, even though Paul didn't deserve it, this grace was given to him through the powerful blood of Jesus, and it changed his life, and he took on the role of a servant. So like Paul, God is calling all of his people to be servants. But the question is, how can we serve? What's the role? What was Paul's job? Continuing on with the second half of verse 8, there are actually two things that Paul says. So let's look at them. Uh, Verse 8, follow along with me. It says, uh, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. Okay, so two things, but again, let's look at them one at a time and break them down. Starting with the first one, what do you see? What is Paul's first action step? What's the first thing he's called to do? He says, uh, this grace was given to... Preach, yeah. So preach means literally announce good news. You remember that word euangelion? Well, preach is euangelizo. There's actually another word in Greek that's translated to our English word preach. Uh, It's a little bit more generic. It means to herald or to proclaim. But this word euangelizo It's very, very specific. It applies only to the good news gospel. So to be 
a herald or to proclaim good news. Euangelion and euangelizo. So Paul is called to preach, announce good news, but to who? To whom is Paul preaching? This grace was given to preach to Gentiles, yes. See, this message is for everyone, but Paul is targeting Gentiles because it's very important to remember that at the time that Paul is speaking and writing this, this is brand new information, that the good news about what Jesus did is for everyone. God has extended his grace. His family now includes non-Jewish people. So some of Paul's responsibility is to announce this good news to these people who have never, ever had the chance to hear it before. So that's what he's doing. He's preaching to the Gentiles, but what is he preaching? Last few words in verse 8. What's it say? The unsearchable riches of Christ. So when Paul says riches of Christ, what's he thinking about? I think he's remembering his past, the grace that was given to him. He's remembering where he used to be, how God met him right where he was. I can imagine the kinds of things that God would say to Paul then. I know who you are. Paul, I know what you've done. But I'm going to forgive all of that. You're now a new person. Come and serve me. And through that, Paul was exposed to the transforming riches of God's grace through Christ. He's now able to experience everything that comes from a life following Jesus. Okay, but what about the unsearchable part? Because I think that's the part that maybe can confuse us or throw us off a little bit. So I'm going to give you guys two thoughts. One, maybe unsearchable because to the Gentiles in whom Paul is preaching, these good news riches up to this point were never, ever even attainable. The Gentiles were never included in the promise before. That was just for God's chosen people, the Jews. So let me tell you a story to helpfully, uh, hopefully help you understand what I mean. Uh, it kind of reminds me of an Easter egg hunt that I went to as a kid. Uh, it was at Sutherland High School. I was probably five or six. So I only have a couple memories, but I, I remember walking down to the football field and I remember getting to the football field and going, this is huge. Five, six-year-old Adam this football field was giant, right? And what they had is they had Easter eggs all over the field. But what they did, very smart, is they sectioned them off for different age groups. They don't want a bunch of 12-year-old boys kicking a bunch of four-year-old boys over, stealing the eggs, right? So, hey, we'll have three and four-year-olds here, five and six-year-olds here, seven and eight, so on. Smart. So, these boundary areas are set for each age, age range, and then... We get to run in and find as many eggs as we want, search for our riches, right, inside this designated boundary area. One fun fact, I also remember that some of the Easter eggs were wrapped in foil, and if you found one of these foil eggs, you got to cash it in at the concession stand, get a big chocolate bunny. And guess what? I got that bunny. 
Yes. That's probably why I remember this memory so well, right? <laughs> so here we are. We're in our designated areas, and we're searching for our Easter eggs, our riches, right? But here's the point. For the Gentiles, it's like they weren't even at the hunt at all. They're on the other side of the fence. And more realistically, they probably didn't even know about the Easter egg hunt. So to them, these eggs, these riches, were unsearchable. Yes, there were riches, but they had no way of getting to them. So that's one thought. Another thought, unsearchable because we cannot even begin to fathom the depths of the riches at all. Other translations of the Bible, instead of using the word unsearchable, will use words like endless or boundless. It's likely that Paul's thinking, yes, I have experienced riches, his grace, his love, and these riches are huge. But the more I get to know Jesus, the more riches I experience. And the more I get to know Jesus, the more riches I experience. They're endless. They're boundless. You can never, ever even find the end of them. They are unsearchable. So preach to the Gentiles these unsearchable riches of Christ. So that's Paul's first job, making sure everybody hears the gospel and has a chance to respond to it. But what about the second job? What else is Paul serving? How else is he serving God? Uh, let's look at verse 9. What's the first action step we see? He says, and to bring to light. Yes. So enlighten, illuminate, make to see. The job is to help others understand, or simply put, to teach. Once someone has responded to the gospel, that's just the beginning. See, Paul is also called to then teach. But next in verse 9, who is he teaching? Everyone, yes. This message is for everyone. Once someone understands the gospel, God wants everyone to be able to learn. But what are they learning? Bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God. This is that same mystery that we were talking about earlier, that through Jesus, anyone can be a part of God's one unified family. See, he wants everybody to know about this. So like God used Paul, he wants to use all of us who have been saved by grace to serve him, to serve him by preaching the good news of his never-ending riches of Jesus so that others might come to know him, and also to serve him by teaching everyone about God's plan to build a united family, his church. But because I'm me, I always ask one more question. Why? Why does God want this? What's the point? Because again, for somebody like me, I'm like, great, cool. I'm a servant of God. So he wants to use me to preach the gospel and to teach about his plan, his will. But why? What's the, what's the point? Why are you doing all of this, God? 
Good news, if we keep reading, let's look at the first two words of verse 10. We see, so that. Great, tell me why. See, God made Paul a servant of the gospel and a servant for the gospel so that, verse 10, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What does that mean? <laughs> to be honest, when I first read this, I'm like, I, what is that? I did not expect that at all. I thought it was going to be something a little more, okay, so let's figure this out. Although it sounds a little confusing at first, it's actually pretty easy to understand once you break it down a little bit. See, Paul is saying that the church, God's united family, is an example of God's many-sided, multifaceted wisdom. And through the church, this wisdom is being shown to what Paul refers to as the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. But who are these rulers and authorities, right? Well, that's another way of referring to the unseen world or the spiritual world. Paul is actually going to talk about this idea a little bit more in Ephesians in chapter 6. So, spoiler alert, let's look at a little bit of that right now. He says in, uh, in chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the idea is there, there are things at work beyond what our eyes can see. There are forces at play. And although we can't see them, we can definitely see the evidence. You know that feeling that things just aren't right? How we struggle to make sense of the current state of our world and the challenges of our time? You know when you feel the injustice, you feel the unrest? Paul is suggesting that this is something more than just human nature. And these evil forces want nothing more for than, for than us to just throw up our hands and shut down or draw dividing lines in the sand or just sit back and say, well, actually, I'm not really sure what God is doing in all this. But remember, God has already told us what his mystery plan is, to unite his family, to unite all things in him through the gospel. See, this is why the church is so vitally important. Because when we come together as a church, and when we're being built in a way that God intends for his church to be built, that is united in him, this is exactly how God shows his wisdom. The united church sends a message to these rulers and authorities of the unseen world that, no, it's God who is in control. It's a message that they will not divide us. And that's how we overcome this darkness. 
Okay, so let's finish out this section, continuing on in verse 11. It says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. See, Paul wraps up this section by reminding us that this, everything that we've just talked about this morning, was God's plan all along, and it still is. That his eternal purpose was made possible through Jesus. And he reminds us that through the gospel, because Jesus made a way by dying on the cross, we now, all of us, have access to him. How? By faith alone, by believing in him. Finally, Paul finishes all of this with an encouraging reminder in verse 13. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Guys, here's the thing. To actually live this out, to be a part of God's united family, it isn't always easy. Because one, there will definitely be times when we want to shut down or draw lines in the sand or simply put, we're just not going to fully understand what's going on. And it isn't always easy because two, it requires us to lay down our own desires and remember that sometimes the things that seem like the big things aren't actually the things that matter. And yes, like any good family, we're not always going to see eye to eye. We're not always going to agree on everything. But we must agree on this, that God is doing something through his united church. Something beautiful, something powerful, and something that's able to change both this seen world and the unseen world around us. So we should also take Paul's advice. When things seem hard, don't lose heart. As we close, I want to tell you one more thing about that coffee shop conversation that I overheard last weekend. What I didn't tell you is that while I overheard a bit of their conversation, I I also got to witness these two people praying together. And as they sat there and talked and wrestled through these topics together, and I sat there studying this passage, I had sort of this aha moment from God. I realized that even though everything may not make sense to them, And even though they sat there and had this conversation and probably didn't agree on everything that they talked about, regardless of that, by coming together in the name of Jesus, they were living out God's mystery plan, God's will for them, to be united in the one thing that truly matters, 
to be united in Christ. Listen, when we want to give up, shut down, when we want to draw lines in the sand, or when we just don't know how to respond to this crazy world around us, take comfort in the truth. God has a plan, and we can see that plan right now. God's plan involves you, his church, to preach and teach and live out the gospel of unity. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your encouraging words. God, I ask that as we process and ponder what you're teaching us, that these words would just root in our heart this week, God. God, I ask that uh, you unite us, God, in the one thing that truly matters, which is the grace of your son, Jesus. God, and I ask that as we process and we ponder, God, and we prepare to just come before you again in worship, that these words would just continue to stir inside of us, God, that you would help them just solidify and root. God, and we would be able to come to you right now. If we have difficulties, God, if we're the type of people who just want to, I don't know what to do, or if we're the type of people that want to draw lines in the sand, God, I ask that you just help us to process those things and, and figure out how we can lay them down at your feet, God, and say, God, I want to I want to care about the things that matter. God, I want to be united in you. God, that you would help us as a church just continue to grow, be united, God, be like-minded in our pursuit of you, God. God, we thank you for this time that we can open up your word and just learn about you, God. And we thank you for this time where we can come before you and worship. We pray all these things in your great son's name. Amen.